Hope you enjoyed the eclipse. Hope you had a great week. Uh, we've been doing a series uh, over, actually, all, all of the summer. We started right after Memorial Day. We have a couple more weeks, so it's going to finish right here after Labor Day on the life of Jesus. And so we've just been spending the summer looking at who Jesus was, who Jesus is, the things that he did, the things that he said in order to understand him better. And so last week, we kind of jumped into the, the final chunk that we're, that we're digging into, into the life of Jesus, and we're talking about the different prayers of Jesus. And so last week, I challenged you, I'm going I'm to lay down the challenge again this week, as we talk about prayer, I said, man, what would it look like if, if you and I and everybody at our campus, at our church, if we put... A, a different sort of priority on prayer in our lives. Like I know for some of us, it's, it's part of our natural rhythm of our week, I get that. And then I also know for others of us, it's not, you know? It's more of a challenge, it's not part of our natural rhythm. And so he said, man, what if, what if all of us, like how would life be different? How would our church be different? How would the impact on our community be different? If we all made this a priority, I threw out 15 minutes a day. Like, what if, what if we just had like 15 focused minutes every day and we said, this is going to be my priority for this week, for this day. And I, wanna, I, I hope you had a chance to at least dig in to prayer a little bit more um, than, than maybe you have in the past. I want to lay down that challenge again. So what we've been doing, we've been digging into the Lord's Prayer. And so Jesus taught us how to pray, right? He taught us how to pray. And so last week we started to look at that. And then this week we're going to continue it. And I want to say this. I said this last week too. Um, there's, ne- like, there's not enough time. This is, I don't know, it's five verses, six verses, something like that. But it is the perfect prayer. And there is so much depth in it if we would slow down and read it, right? And think about the words that it's saying. So we're going to finish it today. There's so much more that I wish we had time to say. We won't have time. Next week, I I have something else I want to share with you regarding Jesus' prayers. But I want to encourage you this week, slow down and read it. Think through it. Ask the Lord to teach you what he wants you to learn in the Lord's Prayer, okay? My only goal for today is really to help us put a higher premium on prayer so that we walk out of here and we go, man, I'm excited to spend time with God. The God of the universe, the one who made everything, knows me, and he allows me to talk to him. And so as we walk out, like we're more impassioned. That's my goal for today. So um, when, when I, I shared this last week, when we talk about prayer, I, if I'm going to define what prayer is, I do it very simply, like I think simply. Um, I, I would say that this is what prayer is. Prayer is personal conversation with God. Right? Like sometimes we can look at prayer and it's like, I got to say the right things. I got to say it in the right way. I got to say it the right number of times, you know, or I have to say it with a certain amount of eloquence, you know, in order to be, to be heard by God. No, that's, that's not what prayer is. Prayer is just me personally communicating, having a conversation with God. And a conversation involves two things, right? Speaking and listening, Right? And so prayer, all it is, is me being honest, being transparent, being genuine before the God of the universe and having a personal conversation with him, right? And so last week we looked at, again, at Jesus' prayer and how he told us to pray. So it's in Matthew chapter 6. And what I'd love to do is just kind of jump right into this. So if you've got a Bible, grab it, flip it open to Matthew chapter 6. Um, if you don't have one and, and you want one, we have a whole table full of them back there. If you put your hand up. Steve will get you a Bible. It's page 787 in the church Bibles. Okay, we're also going to throw it up here on the screen. 
But let me give you a little bit of a recap on um, the beginning of what Jesus is talking about with prayer, right? So he gets into the Lord's Prayer, but right before that, he just starts talking about prayer in general in chapter 6, verse 5. And what he says is, is that prayer, it's not about us being like actors, you know? The, the, the word that he uses is hypocrites. Don't be like the hypocrites. The, the same word for hypocrite is actor in that language, the exact same word. And so he's saying, don't be something that you're not. Don't act before God in your prayers, but be real with him. So he says, don't be like the hypocrites. He goes on, he says, and, and don't keep babbling. This is interesting. So this is God the Son telling us how to pray. He's like, don't keep babbling and babbling and babbling. That's what the pagans do. He says, God's not going to hear you more because of your many words. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the pagans. He says, instead, go pray in secret. And what he means by that is it's not done for other people, right? It's not done, you know, it's not about us impressing others when we pray. It's not about us impressing God. It's just my heart, my personal conversation with God, my heart connecting to the heart of the Father with honesty, with transparency, with genuineness. That's what prayer is. And so uh, he goes into the Lord's Prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. He tells us how to pray. And last week I said, as we look at this, you need, we need to keep a couple things in mind. What Jesus gives us here is like a structure for our prayers. He gives us kind of a template for our prayers or an outline for our prayers for us to generally follow but then we have lots of freedom and we have lots of flexibility in what that looks like. And so I don't think Jesus' intention in giving us this prayer is that, you know, it's just this thing that we rehearse and that we memorize and then we say it together as fast as we can, right? Like maybe you grew up, or we do it here sometimes as well, as a church body in services, sometimes we say this prayer, we say the Lord's Prayer. And it's really easy to just fly right through it because we go, yeah, I memorized that as a kid right? And we fly right through it and we just say it without thinking about the words. And so last week I said, I hope I ruin for you the way that you say the Lord's Prayer for the rest of your life. The way it was ruined for me, because as I say it now, I can't just go fast through it and just say it by memory and just say it in this rote sort of way. I have to slow down and think through what it is that I'm praying. And so I hope that after last week and this week, it'll be the same thing for you. Like when you say the Lord's Prayer, maybe in the context of a service, maybe in your own prayers, that you can't just fly through it saying it mindlessly. I, I like how, I don't think it was Jesus' goal in giving it to us, right? I like how um, a theologian that I respect, a guy named Craig Blomberg, he talks about the Lord's Prayer this way. This is, I, I think this is very wise. He says, we may choose to pray these exact words thoughtfully and reflectively, or to put into our own words similar concerns. He's saying, we could say the exact words that Jesus gives us here, but when we do it, we should do it thoughtfully, and we should do it reflectively, right? Or we may say very much the same stuff, but we use our own words. That's totally fine. The big deal is that we do it thoughtfully. The big deal is that we do it reflectively with honesty, transparency, genuineness. Make sense? Okay, so we just got into really the first sentence of the Lord's Prayer last week. And uh, in case you missed it, I would encourage you, go, go check it out online. So all of the sermons, all the stuff that we do each week, we post online, right? And so if you're interested in digging a little bit deeper into this first part of the Lord's Prayer, I encourage you to check that out online. I'll give you like the, the, the two-minute version of it. Um, 
So, so when Jesus starts off, he says, this then is how you should pray, right? And he says, our Father, right? And we said, stop right there. Like, it's so easy to just continue on. Our Father in heaven, I'll be your name. Stop right there at our Father, because that word that Jesus uses for Father is a very unique word. It's a very interesting word. It's pater in the original language, or Abba. Maybe you've heard of the word Abba in Aramaic. And what it means is it's a very intimate term for Father. The, the equivalent in our language is like Daddy, right? And so he starts this prayer, and he says, and it sets the tone for the rest of the prayer. And he says, Abba. You only have one Abba, right? Your birth father is your Abba. Someone else's father is not your Abba. That's their Abba. You only have one Abba. And so God says, when you talk, Jesus says, when you talk to God, we refer to him as Abba. We refer to him as our daddy, as our father. What's a father and Abba supposed to be like? Loving, accepting, caring for us, wanting the best for our lives, right? And so he says, when you pray, this time I want you to start. Abba, Daddy. And then he goes on, he says, in heaven, right? And we said, what does that mean? Like, what's the significance of that? And I gave you two words last week that jump out to me when I think of in heaven. He's different and he's powerful, right? As our heavenly father, he is different than any earthly father. Some of you have uh, an amazing dad. I'm somebody who had an amazing dad. Some of you have a lousy dad or, or had a lousy dad. No matter if your father is an amazing father or a terrible father, God, our heavenly father, is different and he's better than any earthly father ever. He loves us perfectly, right? He's different and then he's also powerful. He's the heavenly father. He's not bound by his humanity the way that we are, right? And so as we come to him with our needs, with these things on our heart, he's actually able, he's powerful. He's actually able to do the things that we need. So he says, our father in heaven, and he goes on, he says, hallowed be your name. And I confessed to you last week that I said, hallowed be your name, literally thousands of times growing up before I had any idea what hallowed means, right? Hallowed means holy. And so as we say, hallowed be your name, we're saying, holy is your name. We're saying you're holy, God. Back then, your name is equated with who you are. So when we say, holy is your name, we're saying you are holy. What's holy mean? Well, it means pure, it means uncontaminated. It means uncommon. It means set apart, perfect. And so we're saying, you, hallowed be your name. You are holy. You are perfect. You're all of these things. And we're not, right? None of us are. And the only appropriate response for you and I who are not those things, we're not holy, we're not uncontaminated, we're not perfect, we're not those things. The only appropriate response for us when we're encountered with the one who is those things is worship, right? That's what hallowed be your name is all about. It's all about us recognizing who God is and worshiping him. Make sense? So this is where we've been last week, over the last week. Um, and I want to say this too, as you think through the structure, like as we understand what Jesus is giving us here, the structure, the, the outline, I guess, or template of prayer, he breaks it up two, two ways. The first part of the Lord's Prayer, so everything that we talked about last week, and the first part of what we're going to talk about here this morning, is all about God. It's all about bringing honor and glory to him. It's all about God's glory, first part of the Lord's Prayer. 
The second part of the Lord's Prayer is all about us. It's all about our needs for God, right? So it starts off, says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's all about God, right? It's all about us giving glory to God. And then it transitions to us. Give us this day our daily bread, right? The rest of the prayer is all about us. And so it's important as we dig into this to kind of keep that in mind. First part's all about God. Second part's all about us, okay? So if you're in Matthew chapter 6, he starts talking about prayer in verse 5. We're going to pick up in verse 9. That's where Jesus actually gives us the Lord's prayer. And so this is what he says. I'm going I'm to read it slow because I think we should. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. So that's it. That's, that's how Jesus tells us to pray. It's called the Lord's Prayer. Okay, so I want to I pick up right where we left off last week. We're going to pick up in verse 10. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What do you think that means? Like, what do you think it means when he says, your kingdom come, right? I, I want you to get a sense of what Jesus is telling us to pray because if we mean it, like if we get it and if we mean it, it's hard. What he's telling us to pray is hard. And if we take seriously what Jesus said about us not being hypocritical in our prayers, us not being actors in our prayers, like we're saying something before God, but we don't really mean it. If we take that seriously, then we shouldn't pray it unless we mean it, right? So I want to make sure that we understand exactly what Jesus means here. So we talked about the significance of the, of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God a couple weeks ago. Remember, I, I, I showed you my kingdom. I, I, my kingdom is like my garage. I got a barn on, on, out back, and it's like it's my kingdom. So everything in my kingdom, everything in my garage, I, as the king, I feel embarrassed saying that, but I, as the king, determined everything that went inside of that kingdom, right? Like, that kingdom is the way that it is because I, as the king, decided what, in, what went into that kingdom. And so we said what makes the kingdom special, think about this broadly, what makes the kingdom special isn't that the kingdom is just a really great place, Right? And when you think about the kingdom of God, what makes the kingdom of God special isn't that it's going to be a really awesome place. What makes the kingdom of God special is the king, right? The king is what makes the kingdom special. The kingdom is all about the king. The kingdom is all about the desires of the king. The kingdom is all about the influence of the king, the power of the king, the authority of the king. So as the, you know, this is what we're praying here is that God's place of power his authority, his influence grows bigger and bigger and bigger here and now on this earth. So we're saying your kingdom come. We're saying we want your desires, your kingdom to grow bigger and bigger and bigger right here on earth. Your kingdom come. Make sense? How about, how about the next part? Your will be done. Like what's that about? What, like what's God's will? Well, generally, God's will is actually, that's actually very simple for us to answer. Generally, God's will is this. 
What is God's will for the world? Right here. What's God's will for my life? Right here. Right? The Bible, he gives us, he gives us everything right here to understand his heart to understand his desire, his will for our world and for our life. And so you look at it and you go, okay, well then what's God's will for me? Smarty pants, what's God's will generally for me? Well, that's easy. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Maybe you've heard of those before. Those are in Galatians chapter five. They're called the fruits of the spirit. God's desire for you and me is that we act that way that we live those things out. And he helps us live those things out by his spirit inside of us. But that's his, in general, that's his will for our lives. How about for the world? Like what's God's desire for the world? Well, it's all in here. Unity, completion, order, love, peace, shalom, right? That's what God's will is for the world. And so that's his will for our lives generally. That's his will for the world generally. How about specifically? Specifically, God's will is applied differently in different circumstances of our lives, right? So this is applied differently depending on what the circumstances of our lives is. And here's the thing. Sometimes God's will is different than our own, right? Anybody ever come to that reality in their life? You're like, man, I prayed and prayed and prayed for this thing, and it seemed like it was the right thing. This happened to me so many times. I bet it's happened to you too. Or like, I'm praying and praying and praying, and I feel like this is the right thing to pray for. I feel like this is a good thing to pray for, and I'm begging God over and over and over again for this to happen. And then sometimes, many times, I don't know, in my life, the thing that actually happens is exactly the opposite of what I prayed for. And I'm like, I don't get it, you know? Like, God, why, why is that? Why is, like, what is your will in this situation? I thought I was praying what you wanted me to pray. His will was different than mine, right? His desire in the situation was different than mine. Why? Because here's my perspective. I see just a little bit. I have this very limited purview. He sees everything, right? He knows everything. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's a tough thing to pray. And we better mean it. You know why? Because we pray, your kingdom come, not mine. We pray, your will be done, not mine, right? Here and now, just like it is in heaven. And that's hard because I, got, I like my will. My will could be pretty strong. I could like my kingdom, and I kind of want it to grow. I kind of want it to get bigger. And so this prayer, we're, it's submission. It's a prayer of submission to God. I'm saying, it's not about me, Lord. What I desire is about you. I want your power and influence to grow here on this earth. I want your desire to be done. My perspective is very limited. Yours is wide open, and I trust you right? I trust that you as my Abba, you as my daddy, you ultimately know what's best. And so we pray, your kingdom come and grow. Your will be done in my heart and in all of our hearts, right here on earth as it is in heaven. That is a tough, tough prayer if we actually mean it. If we slow down and we go, do I really want God's will and God's kingdom to grow? 
and not mine. Prayer of submission. I, I don't know if you saw this past week, uh, the, the Powerball jackpot was $758 million. $758 million. Did you see this? One person won it, right? Did you see? She's from uh, Massachusetts. She bought a little convenience store in Massachusetts. And so they, they, I saw a little interview that they did with her. It was, it was amazing. They're like, so it was like the day of or the next day. They're like, so what are, what are you going to do now? And she's like, well, I already quit my job. I think she was at it for like 32 years. I've already quit my job. And she said, what did she say? I just want to hide in my bed. <laughs> like I got all this money now. I just want to like hide in my bed. So if you win the lottery, there's, there's, you probably know this, there's two ways you could collect the money. You could do it over like 30 years or something and you get a certain amount of money. Or you can take it like all right now in one lump sum. The lump sum that she gets for the $758 million is $480 billion, which is still pretty good, right? Like we take it, right? $480 million. Can you imagine? Like what would you do with $480 million. I, I was reading a little bit about the lottery. The chances of any of us winning the Powerball, I think it's six numbers, I'm not sure. I think, I think it's six numbers. The chances of any of us winning the Powerball is one in 292 million. <laughs> one in 290, those are not good chances. They're, they're talking about what we have better odds of getting. They said, you have a better chance of being killed by an asteroid than winning, than winning the Powerball. And that, it's only one in 700,000, which I thought it would be higher than that, being killed by an asteroid. They said, you have a better chance of being struck by lightning while drowning, both of those two things at the same time, than winning the Powerball. You have a better chance of being eaten by a shark, which is one in 11 and a half million, than winning the Powerball. Like, man, like this is so slim, $480 million. Like, what would you do? Like, does anybody actually need that money, you know? What would you do? I can tell you this, my garage would get bigger. My kingdom in my house, like every inch of my yard would become garage. I would insulate it. Like I'd like it, right? Like that'd be, that'd be nice to have $480 million, but I don't need it. Like no one actually needs $480 million. And yet I thought this was interesting. I think, I think this is just in the United States. It could be the world, but I think it was just the United States we spend $70 billion on the lottery every year. No one needs it, but we spend collectively $70 billion a year. Why is that? Well, because people don't just have needs. We don't need it. People don't just have needs. We also have wants. And our desire for what we want can be incredibly strong, right? And it can morph into selfishness really, really quickly, many times without us even realizing it. Look, look back at the Lord's Prayer. I think this is fascinating how much Jesus knows us as human beings. Look at it. What, what does he tell us to pray for next? He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says, give us today our daily bread. Right? And so this is where, if you remember, I said, first part's all about God and his glory. Second part's all about us and our needs. Real people with real problems and real needs, right? This is where it transitions from God's glory to man's needs. And so as I read that, give us today our daily bread, there's two words that jump out to me in that. Daily and bread, okay? Daily and bread. Let's look at the first one first. Daily. What, is, what does daily mean? Like, what does daily intuit for us? Well, daily means enough for today, right? 
Like, if you have your daily supply of something, you have enough of that for today. And I think about that, and I go, okay, he's telling me to pray. Jesus is telling us to pray for our daily bread. If I'm honest, and I look at my heart, I go, I don't really want daily bread. I want yearly bread, you know? Or I want lifetime supply of bread all at once. Because if I got it all at once, I don't have to worry anymore, you know? Like, I can just relax. I don't have to depend on anyone. I don't have to depend on anything. It, it's, the, it's the same reason that we play the lottery, right? We don't need $480 million all at once, but we look at it and we go, yeah, that'd be nice. Then I wouldn't have to worry about money anymore. I could retire. I wouldn't have to depend. I don't have to worry about the stock market anymore. I definitely have all that I need. And I look at my life, and if I'm honest, that's how I feel too. I don't really want daily bread. I want yearly bread. I want a lifetime supply of bread. But Jesus tells us to ask for our daily bread. Why do you think that is? Why, like, why do you, is it an accident? Is it just a word that, that he randomly chose? I don't think so. I think it's because he knows our hearts. And if we have too much, and let's, and let's be honest around here. Maybe none of us just has enough for today. Like probably none of us is going, I have no idea how I'm going to have anything provided for tomorrow. All I have is enough for today. Probably that doesn't describe any of us. If we're honest, we at least have weekly bread or monthly bread or yearly bread. Jesus says when we pray, pray for daily bread. Why? So that we depend on our Father to provide for us daily, to meet our daily needs so that we keep coming back to him so that we keep depending on him so that we keep talking to him daily every day going back to my daddy to provide what i need for that day you know what that takes with us faith trust i go man you you, you provided what i needed yesterday and you provided what i needed the day before I trust you that you're going to provide what I need for today as well. It takes faith. It takes trust. So that's a daily. And then I think about bread. And I, and I think about bread. It's funny. We were, talking, we were talking about this in my house yesterday or the day before. My daughter's eight years old, and she's like, man, I love bread. She's like, I don't, I don't think I could live if I wouldn't have bread the rest of my life. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I think you're right. You love carbohydrates. But I think about myself, I think I love bread too. You know, my wife makes, Marsha makes fun of me because I, there's days I wake up, I'm like, I just, I'm just in the mood for like a good crusty bread, you know, like a good hearty bread, dip it in some olive oil. Like bread's good, right? And, and it's filling and it's very basic. Let me ask you this. When you think about like a, a, a dark, dingy, minimalist prison, right, that just gives you the basics, what do they feed you in a prison like that? Bread and water, right? Why? It's just the basics. It's just enough to keep you alive. And so when Jesus says, I want you to pray, I want you to ask your Abba, ask your daddy for daily bread, what do you think he means there? I think he means our needs, right? Just what we need. He doesn't say, I don't think it's, it's just by random, just by accident. He doesn't say, give us our daily feast. He doesn't say, I want you to pray, give us our daily seven-course meal, Right? He doesn't pray, give us our daily wants or our desires. He says, give us our daily bread. And guys, let's be honest, that's not easy to pray. 
Like we like to pray about what we want more than what we need. We'll pray for what we need, but we also pray for what we want. Like we, like how many of us have prayed to win the lottery? Don't raise your hand. I know you guys are all guilty. I've done it too, right? God, if you let me win the lottery, I'll give so much of it away. We, well, I don't need it, right? We pray because that's what we want. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I want you to pray for what you need. Why? Because he knows our hearts. When we just pray for what we want, man, it is so easy for us to slip into selfishness without us even realizing it. It makes its home in our heart. Jesus gets that. It reminds me, there's another place in, in the New Testament, in the Bible, that says something similar. It's in James chapter 4. Listen to this, I'll just read it to you. It says, so this is James, Jesus' brother, actually, writing to a, a, a bunch of Jewish folks. And he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires? Desires are wants, right? Not needs. Your desires that battle within you. You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures, on ourselves, right? James knows what he's talking about here. James knows the human heart as well, the dangers of focusing on what we want. Jesus says, Father, give us today our daily bread. And, and then he goes on. He says, uh, pray, so he says, then pray to forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. To forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And I'll be honest with you, this is the part of all the Lord's Prayer that the, these last couple of weeks as I've been digging into it, this is the part that, um, that struck me the most strongly with it. So I want to take a few minutes here with this. What, what does that mean? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's very important that we understand what the word debt means in order to understand what Jesus means here. So what, like, what does the word debt mean? Well, a debt is that which I owe, right? And so if, if I borrow uh, $20 from Michael, then I am in debt $20 to Michael, right? I owe him $20. Maybe some of us, uh, for sure, some of us have bought a house before. A lot of times when you buy a house, you don't have enough money to buy it all yourself, right? And so you go to a bank and you say, hey, can I borrow money? Can I take out a mortgage? Can I go into debt with you so that I could buy this house? And then we're in debt with the bank or the mortgage company until we pay it all off because we owe them, right? Okay, well, what kind of debt are we in with God? And and what did we do to cause us to get into that debt with him? Well, I want you to think about it this way. Debt, debt doesn't come only from us borrowing from somebody else. That's one way we can accrue debt, but that's not the only way. It can also be created by something that we do to someone or something that someone does to us, right? So let, let me give you an example. Let me give you two examples. Uh, we're, we're on the beach this summer and I'm not a very good swimmer. And so imagine me like going out into the water and like being caught in an undertow. And all of a sudden I'm like drowning in the ocean. I'm flailing around. I'm throwing my arms up, right? I'm freaking out. And the lifeguard on the stand, she sees me with her binoculars. She sees that I'm in trouble. She drops her binoculars. She jumps down from the stand. She runs out, swims out, and she rescues me. She saves my life, right? Pulls me into shore, saved my life. What happens? I am indebted to her right? Because she has saved my life. 
I am going to be her life slave. I'm not going to do that. I'm not but at least I'm going to like buy her a Coke or something, right? Like she just saved my life. She created a debt for me by what she did for me. Make sense? Okay, how, or, or, so, so think about it this way. Um, maybe uh, my neighbor next door is building a garage. I don't know why I keep thinking about garages all the time. Maybe my neighbor next door is like, I need a bigger garage. I saw yours. I love it. I want a bigger. So they start building a garage, and they have all of this lumber like out in front of their, of their yard. And uh, in the middle of the night, I wake up, and I'm like, boom, I feel like I need some more shelving in my garage, you know, because I, you know, need places for my medicine balls and my kettlebells and my dumbbells and all that sort of stuff. And so in the middle of the night, I get up and unbeknownst to anybody else, I walk over next door and I grab all of their lumber and I bring it into my garage, right? And then the neighbors the next morning are woken up to the hammering of me in my garage building shelves. And they walk out, they're like, what is that noise? They walk out, they're like, where did all my lumber go? And they walk over into my garage and they're like, hey, bozo, why did you steal all of my lumber to build your shelves, right? What did I do wrong? When I, when, when I steal all of their stuff, I've created some debt there, right? What kind of debt? Well, first, I've created some debt for the lumber. I'm indebted to them for what I stole from them, right? But that's not the only debt that I've accrued. I've also betrayed their trust, right? You guys tracking with me? So I've accrued this debt with them of broken trust. I stole their lumber. I owe them that. But I also betrayed their trust. And now I have this deficit of trust that I owe to them that I have to build up. Guys, listen, similarly, when you and I sin, when you and I miss the mark, when you and I do wrong, we sin against God and we accrue this debt that needs forgiven. That, that in fact, is what, that's the heart of the gospel. That's why Jesus came. You and I have accrued this debt with God that needs forgiven. Jesus came to die on the cross so that you and I could have our debt forgiven from the Father that we could not pay on our own. And so when we say yes to Jesus, his payment, his, what he's done on the cross, is applied to our account, so to speak, with the Father, right? Makes sense? But here's the thing. Even after you and I say yes to Jesus, we still sin, Right? Like at some point we go, we sin and we sin and we sin and we go, geez, I've accrued this huge debt with God. I need forgiven. Look what Jesus did on the cross. I say yes to Jesus. I receive payment for that. Jesus died for my past, present, and future sins, right? But at some point after that, I still sin. I accrue more debt with the Father and Jesus' death still pays for it. But as disobedient children, I should feel something when I sin against my Father, right? Like, I, I should, what should I feel? Remorse, right? He's my father now. He's died. Jesus died for me. My slate is wiped clean. I'm his child. When I continue to do wrong, and let's be honest, we all do at some level or another. When I continue to do wrong, I should feel some remorse. I should feel some regret, and I should desire some repentance, Right? Let me, let me give you another example. So my son, I have a son and a daughter. My son is in middle school now. He comes home at like 2.30. He has to be at school at 7 o'clock. It's so early. He comes home at 2.30. He loves basketball. We have a basketball hoop. We have a basketball, right? And so my daughter, she's 8 years old. She comes home about 3.45. So imagine her coming home and my son is out there shooting baskets. And my daughter gets off the bus and she's like, in her mind, she goes, ding, I want to play basketball, 
we only have one basketball. And so she walks over to my son, Luke, and she goes, I would like that basketball. And she goes, bam, and she punches him right in the nose. And it looks just like that. That is a staged picture, by the way. Natalie loved taking that picture. Luke, not as much, but, okay? So imagine she punches him in the nose and she takes the basketball and she goes, mine, I'm gonna play basketball. And she really hurts him. And I see this as dad, I see this, and I'm like, what are you doing? You can't do that. That is a terrible thing to do to your brother. That's not okay. Apologize to your brother. And she's like dribbling the ball and shooting the ball. And she's like, ah, sorry. And she just keeps shooting, right? She doesn't mean it one bit. How do you think me as her dad is going to respond, as her daddy is going to respond to that? How do you think Luke as her big brother is gonna respond to that. We're gonna be ticked, right? Like we are not gonna be happy with her. That relationship is not repaired. She accrued a debt with her brother by punching him in the nose and taking her basket, his basketball. That relationship has not been repaired. Why? Because clearly there's no remorse, right? Clearly there's no regret. She didn't feel repentance. She said the right thing, but she didn't mean it, right? And so forgiveness is available to her, but she's gotta realize that she's done something wrong for the relationship to be restored. You guys following me? Similarly, this is like when we sin against God, when we wrong God, Jesus' death pays for our condemnation before God if we've said yes to Jesus. But until I feel it, like until I feel something, until I feel remorse, until I feel regret, until I'm ready to, to repent, to like turn from the things that I've done, my relationship with God, with the Father, is not yet restored, right? The condemnation is paid for, but my relationship, because of my sin, because of the debt that I have accrued, has not yet been restored. That's the key. Here, here's what I fear for us, guys. We can be so quick, so quick to claim forgiveness for our sins because I've said yes to Jesus. And so he's wiped my slate clean, past, present, and future. But all the while, we have never adequately felt the weight of our sinfulness, like just how much we need forgiveness, or maybe we felt it at one time, and that's what drove us to Jesus. That's what drove us to the cross, and we're like, I am overcome with my sin. I need forgiven. Thank you, Jesus, but somewhere along the way, like we lost it, and we don't feel that same sort of thing anymore. I, I, I was reading in, um, this is my own like personal time with the Lord. I was reading in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah 8 and 9. It's, it's, it's an interesting chapter. So the, the Jews were like, they just weren't following God. And in chapter 8 and 9, it's like all of a sudden they realize, they realize the extent of their sinfulness. Like the lights come on and they're crying out to God. They're asking for forgiveness, not only for them. This is interesting. We, we can't relate to this very well. Asking for forgiveness, not only for them, but for what their ancestors have done. Right? And so they're crying out to God and they're broken and they're weeping before him. They are just crushed before God. And finally, they confess their sins to him and they repent. And it wasn't until then, right then, that their relationship with God was restored. It wasn't until they recognized how much they needed forgiveness 
It wasn't until they recognized the extent of their sinfulness. And guys, when Jesus told us to pray, forgive us our debts, I think what it means is we gotta honestly and humbly search our hearts and do the uncomfortable work of remembering our sins. And we gotta feel them. And we gotta confess them to him. It's paid for by the cross if we've said yes to Jesus. But in order for that relationship to be restored, we have to feel how utterly sinful our sinfulness is. And then Jesus goes on, that forgiveness and that restoration that we receive from God, like when we feel it and we recognize that Jesus has paid for it, how he, how he restores us, that then drives us to offer that same sort of forgiveness to other people. I, I want to be known as a forgiving person, you know? I can tell you this, I will never be able to forgive people. I will hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness and all of those things unless I understand how much I've been forgiven by the Father. Until I get this, how much I've been forgiven for, I will never be a forgiving person to other people. What they do to me, I will hold on tightly. I will lord it over them. I will allow unforgiveness to poison my soul, right? Here's my question to you. Who's accrued a debt in your life by the way that they've treated you, by the way that they've hurt you, by the awful things that they've done? Allow yourself to think about it. Who's done terrible things to you that's created a debt that they cannot pay? Are you willing to forgive them are you willing to let go of the bitterness? Are you willing to let go of the hurt? Are you willing to let go of your anger and your frustration, your pain and your sadness? And, and be honest before the Lord, like, not actors, right? Be honest, if not, tell him. If not, why not? Like, why not? Is it, is it because we like the feelings that unforgiveness gives us? No. That's one of the worst feelings, like when we hold on to unforgiveness. It's a terrible feeling for us to feel. Is it because we've never adequately recognized how much we've been forgiven for by the Father? Maybe you sit here this morning and you've never experienced that. You're like, I don't know, I'm like thinking through this Jesus stuff. He offers us a forgiveness. We, we have hurt God the Father in the most extreme ways, far more than anybody else on this planet could ever hurt us. We have. Maybe this morning you recognize that for the first time. Or maybe you remember the extent of God's forgiveness for us because of the cross. We, we don't have any right to hold on to unforgiveness. All it's doing is poisoning us. See, Jesus, in this, in this one little phrase, this one little sentence, he gives us the key to complete freedom right here. It's like the two sides of the coin of forgiveness. Me being forgiven by God for my sins, for my sinfulness, and me forgiving other people as a response to that, right? They, they, they go together. Until I get what I've been forgiven of, I will never adequately be able to forgive other people. They're two sides of the same coin. Maybe this week, like as you're, if you take my challenge to like spend intense, just more focused time in prayer, maybe this is all the further that you get in the Lord's Prayer. 
Maybe you go, man, I got unforgiveness in my heart and I hate it. I don't know how to let it go. Just talk to the Lord about that little part of the Lord's prayer. And Jesus ends with us asking, telling us to ask God to keep us from sin and evil. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And for time's sake, I just, I just want to be real direct here. Again, this is like, oh, I wish I had, I wish I had more time with this. He's not, he's not saying for us to ask God to not tempt us with sin and evil. Like God brings temptation our way and he wants us to screw up so he can go, ah, oh, you messed up, I got you. God doesn't do that. It's not how he works. It's very clear in the Bible. James 1 is very clear about that. He doesn't bring temptation our way so that we fail. We should understand it this way. Maybe this is a better way to understand. It's a little harder when it's translated into English, this part. But what it means is lead us to not give in to temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us to not give in to temptation and protect us or, or rescue us from the evil one. So it's about like, God, keep me from giving in to sin and protect me from evil. Basically, we're asking God to guard our lives against sin and evil. Again, I want to encourage you, like maybe, maybe this is part, I wish we had more time to dig into this, but maybe this is the part that this week you're like, God, help me understand that. Help me understand. I, I feel like I'm giving into temptation over and over and over again. What sort of power can I give you in my life so that I don't? It breaks my heart. I know it breaks your heart. Maybe this is something for you to dig into in a, in a different way this week. That's, that's the prayer that Jesus gives us. If you ever wanted to know what God says our prayer should be like, here it is from God the Son himself. And, and I don't know about you, but I got people in my life that uh, I, I like look up to. They're kind of heroes of mine. And, and some of them, I'll be honest with you, some of them I know well and some of them I don't, you know. But they're, they're men and women of God that have been used in powerful ways and they have this relationship with God that's like so deep and so uh, faithful, so trusting. And I look at them and I'm like, man, I want to be like them. I, I want to trust that way. I want to love people that way. I want to be used by God that way, the way that he's doing in, the, in these other people's lives. And if I'm honest and I look at each of them, they have one thing in common, for sure, at least one thing, one thing in common. Prayer for all of them is a huge part of their life. And maybe this morning you sit here and you're like, I want to be a godly man too. Or I want to be a godly woman too. Can I just tell you, we cannot be that without spending significant time talking and listening to the Lord, to our daddy in prayer. The God of the universe is not just the God of the universe. He also is our father who loves us and wants to spend time with us. And so guys, I challenge you this week, go to him, be with him, enjoy him. He's not out, if you said yes to Jesus, man, he's your father, he's not out to condemn you. He's out to allow you to get to know him better so that we become who he desires that we be. So here's how I wanna end our time. I, I wanna end our time just with some prayer together, okay? And so do me a favor, let's bring the lights down now, close your eyes, and let me just lead us in a time of us talking to the Lord. And then the band's gonna sing us one more song.